Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that brings you a wrap-up of everything that happened during the week that's worth paying attention to, or rather that's worth trying to avoid paying attention to because it's so horrible, but uh, we're going to inflict it on you anyway. I'm Kevin Barrett, and bringing on for the first time ever in human history as a False Flag Weekly News commentator, the conspiracy researcher and author, Peter Myers. Hey, Peter, how are you? Uh, Kevin. In, in near Brisbane, Australia. Okay, uh, we're talking from opposite corners of the globe. I'm in Morocco, you're in Australia. This is a very exotic show for our North American audience. Well, let's uh, take a look at the slides we have lined up for this week. And to do that, uh, my my computer is acting up a bit. It's got the, it's got a case of the slows again, which we had last week or the week before, whatever it was. So here, let me get into my share screen and. We will look at our slideshow for the week. Here it is. Um, there is our slide of the week. Uh, I made this up to match your book, Peter, uh, The Cosmopolitan Empire, which gets into world takeover conspiracy. So here's our, our image of the week, a world takeover conspiracy image. And then uh, you haven't done the show before, Peter, so you probably uh, may not be aware that we always have a, a we try to usually have a music video of the week. So this week's music video is in honor of the brave Ansarullah, a.k.a. Houthi resistance of Yemen. Oop, let's get back to our, uh, our music video. You're the one that started this two-timing. Now I'm going to sink your boat. I'm going to sink your boat. Sink your boat. All right, the Houthis. Uh, that was our music video of the week. And now moving on to public service announcements. The main public service announcement is always give us money. So go to truthjihad.com. It'll take you to Heresy Central uh, over in Iceland. And you click on the False Flag Weekly News link. Just follow those right arrows. And you'll get to our listing for today's show. Go down to number one on the list. And that will take you to our fundraiser. Right now, we're a little over halfway there to our $200 goal. And we, we did lag on a fundraiser two weeks ago. So please, everybody, help us make up those fundraisers so I don't have to go off on vacation and take a break from the hard work of actually paying attention to this horrible news so you don't have to. All right, here we are. Season's greetings. It's uh, time to celebrate the birth of the one and only true Messiah, Jesus. Peace upon him. <laughs> so um, some people aren't celebrating over in Gaza. Ed Curtin had this great article uh, about really the horror, the horror. Um, so, Peter, what's your take on, on Christmas in Gaza? Well, I know about Christmas in Bethlehem. They, they do celebrate it there, but it's not very nice there either. No, they're they're actually saying that this year is not a very merry Christmas, uh, as the Zionists are slaughtering people by the the boatloads or the truckloads or whatever over in Gaza and killing a lot of people in the West Bank as well. And of course, they spit on Christians over there. That's that's a time honored Jewish tradition that they're only allowed to do when they're in power, and they are. We'll talk a little bit it's more a, about Jewish power later. Yes. I have noticed that there's a big difference between Protestants and Catholics, and I think Orthodox too, over uh, this war. Protestants tend to to take the Israeli line, 
uh, you know, and, and Catholics and Orthodox seem to sympathize with the Palestinians. I think Christianity is actually splitting and, and it's the Jewish religion is actually forcing that split because it regards Christianity as a kind of idolatry, a backsliding from Judaism. And the goal is to, to get Christians to become Jewish again. And that's why uh, if you look, say, at the U.S. House of Representatives, it has holidays uh, listed in its calendar. Uh, yeah, we're going to show those later on the slideshow, yeah. I have the calendar for 2017 to show you. There are eight Jewish holidays listed and only two Christian ones. Make America Jewish again. That sounds like Jared yeah. Kushner's plan. Well, and, and speaking of which, you know, we, we're going to be getting to that, the breaking news which uh, and then the the Trump the the Trump versus Biden story thing, but but first uh, we have the breaking news that I have to peer around my camera to see the monitor uh, <laughs> that the twenty thousand official deaths now in Gaza and there's actually a lot more than that because a lot of bodies are still under the rubble and they haven't been identified and as that happened uh, the New York Times just revealed that Israel's been dropping these gigantic bombs on. Uh, the places where it tells the civilians to go. So if even the New York Times is telling us that, I mean, you know that it's bad. And then finally, uh, we have the ceasefire resolution that wasn't. It was supposed to be a ceasefire re resolution, but it turned into just a humanitarian deliveries resolution that passed uh, yesterday. So, so, Peter, how are they going to get the massive amount of humanitarian aid they need to keep people alive uh, to feed them and to get them fresh drinking water and so on if they're if the israelis are continually dropping these gigantic bombs on people well well the us has has agreed to uh, a a security council resolution which does demand more aid going in but um uh, I don't think it'll 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 stop those deaths. It'll just slow them down, and uh, th it looks to me as if this is going to go on for a long time, maybe another year. And um, it's a, a year it's at this already... at this scale, Peter. Is that possible? I mean, well, I mean it, might, it, it might move to the West Bank after this, and and. Um, uh, but but it's it's having a major effect uh, in the West because the Jewish lobby is used to uh, being able to oust politicians easily by funding opponents, that sort of thing. But what they're finding is that the young generation of students in the universities, the woke generation, are immune to their propaganda. And, yeah. How did that uh, and work? <laughs> they don't actually deny the Holocaust like you were recommending. They just regard it as irrelevant to, to this. Uh, and, and, and like in Australia, the uh, National Union of Students, which is it covers all the universities, had a uh, resolution a few weeks ago, and they unanimous, unanimously um, sided with Gaza and against the Israeli genocide. And it, now, admittedly, this is the same sort of thing that's happening in American universities like Harvard. But... The administrations uh, have been um, uh, browbeaten by all this anti-Semitism hysteria, so that they are billionaire donors. Yeah. You've got a kind of uh, a class war going on in universities between the administration and the students, 
And I think that that's going to happen society-wide. Like, it's it's a bit like the Vietnam War days. And young people in, in Melbourne have been... Um, blocking uh, Israeli ships, a Zim ship, shipping line, in kayaks. And it gets onto the news. And Yeah, there I saw have been that. similar... Pardon? I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so what I mean is, this this is not going to go away. Uh, and, and these young people are, are immune to the propaganda that the lobby dishes out. So they have a problem. And so now the ADL has come out against... Um, the woke generation. It's come out against uh, DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it says it's treating Jewish people like white people, uh, treating them as oppressors. Right. So, so th this time, the woke generation is has actually got it right when they figured out who's who are the dangerous oppressors. I mean, They frankly, have. That's yeah, right. when they say That's that the right. oppressed people are, are trans people and especially the the gay people. I lived in San Francisco and I didn't see the gay people being particularly oppressed. They looked like they were uh, they were having a pretty good time on their you know their their two incomes That's for right. per couple or whatever. But one And they're, thing that yeah. one thing that bothers me is that a number of um, politicians who we had looked to uh, as dissident politicians on our side, you know, like during the lockdown, for example, they were on our side. People like Robert Kennedy over there, but there are some others here. They seem to be sucking up to the Israelis, just like Robert Kennedy, and it's to me, it's a big worry. Yeah, me too. But we'll we'll see where it goes. I think that the, for me, the big issue is that the U.S. is now increasingly isolated in its support for the genocidal Zionist entity and the rest of the world isn't buying it. So I think that that dynamic is going that plus the one you mentioned with the young people siding with Palestine is going to have a big effect in the future. Well, uh, let's let's move on to our uh, non-breaking stories. Those were the breaking news stories. Now we're into the question of what's going to happen in 2024. And uh, Peter, you know better than anybody that The Economist magazine likes to tell us what's going to happen in the following year in its uh, issue. Special, they always have a special issue at the end of a year to tell us what's coming in the next year. And they put out these cryptic kinds of illustrations on the cover to make us wonder if they, they know something that we don't. And so here's the illustration for this year's Economist cover and sort of the two obvious things, and there's lots of, all millions of things you could say about this, but the obvious things here is we have we have Putin and Zelensky at the top with the hourglass running out and they're looking at each other. So that means the, the war, presumably that means the war uh, in Ukraine is drawing to a close, either that or Zelensky's time is drawing to a close and they wish Putin's time was drawing to a close, but it probably won't be something along those lines. And then in the bottom, You see, uh, you see Trump and and Xi uh, looking opposite uh, away from each other. So some people are saying that means Trump is going to win in 2024 and bring back the harsh anti-China policy, which, in my opinion, included a U.S. bioattack on China. We get into that later if you want. Anyway, so that, then they're, they're claiming that elections are are hugely important. So Zelensky can't win any more elections. He's gone. Uh, they wish Putin could be diselected, but he can't be. And then the election of Trump will create uh, U.S. and China going opposite ways. In other words, maybe having a, having a war or a clash. So that's that's kind of the most obvious you know, interpretation. I included a story that offers us that interpretation from from Belarus. Um, but Peter, you're probably a better place than anybody to to try to guess what the economist is thinking. You're you're a longtime Well, student I of don't, the Rothschilds. I, I don't think anybody could be better placed than you, Kevin, because you feel these kinds of discussions and interviews with numerous people from all different quarters of the world, you know, 
So I couldn't possibly hope to uh, match you on that. But I did notice The Economist has an article about the Ukraine war in which they they note that the um, the speaker, the new Speaker of the House uh, of Representatives turned down Biden's request for, you know, 60 billion or whatever. And they're saying that Americans seem to be tiring of the war and they're encouraging Europeans to step into the breach and um, and keep that war going. So even though the hourglass looks like it's sort of getting low, uh, the economist is uh, is trying to keep the war going. I, I see them as like the intelligence center of the world, not in a military sense, but you know, the it's the Rothschild Intelligence Network. And, you know, a couple of centuries ago, they were the ones who found out the result of the, the battle between um, Napoleon and Wellington. And they got the news first and they ended up stealing most of the shares of the Bank of England uh, on the basis of it. So that's their intelligence network. And they've still got it. And and um and so that they are kind of like the command and control center of the world, in my view. That is the Economist magazine, mm -hmm. uh, which is. But anyway, so. So, what else do you do with this war? Um, but it reminds me of of um, Emmanuel Todd, the anthropologist, French anthropologist. Uh, he, he said he felt that this war was the start of the Third World War and um, that uh, it would be existential for both sides. Well, when you say existential for the Americans, I don't think the American people have it in for the Russians, but the elite does. It's existential for the elite, both in America and in, in, in Europe. And in Germany, of course, there's increasingly uh, increasing public dissatisfaction you know, with the collapse of the German economy, most people seem to want a new president. So it's it's existential for the elites in those, you know, both Europe and America. And it just remains whether the people will rebel against it or not. Yes, I, I agree. I think it, it, Todd thought it was existential for the U.S. empire. And of course, that doesn't mean existential for the U.S. people by any means. Well, those are good points. And so uh, it's kind of shocking to have uh, Rothschild, sort of these liberal globalists who are not pro-Trump by any means, actually seemingly maybe predicting that Trump might get back into office. Uh, and he was probably helped rather than hindered by the Colorado Supreme Court uh, scrubbing him off of the Colorado ballot because this just gives him more publicity, makes makes it look like he's the persecuted outsider that he likes to portray himself as. It's almost as if there's kind of a conspiracy by the people attacking Trump to give him exactly what he needs to put him back in power. But I think the other side of that story is that the Democratic Party wants Trump to be the candidate. He is the one they think they can win against. Mm -hmm. And they keep playing that up for that reason. That's a good point. So that could be a uh, part of it. That's uh, that's why they're beating up on him so hard in what look like counterproductive ways, ways that keep him in the focus and keep his base riled up. So his base will definitely but get him the nomination. Forget, yeah. During yeah. elections, a lot of people don't vote for that party like the Democratic Party because they like the Democratic candidate. They vote for the Democratic Party to stop the Republican getting in. Right. And so exactly. if they can keep playing up Trump as the bad guy. Mm -hmm. that, well, look at him play up Trump as the bad guy here. Biden is tweeting uh, Trump as Hitler. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, do you think that might backfire? 
Well, you know, I, I, I would actually tend to agree with Kagan, the, uh, the Kagan of the neocons, who published a piece in the Washington Post saying something like, a, a Trump uh, dictatorship is, is increasingly inevitable. And, you know, I analyzed that uh, as a possible call for Trump's assassination. But uh, I, I do think that if the Democrats are doing what you're suggesting, they're certainly playing with fire because they underestimated yeah. Trump back in 2016. And that could easily happen again. And the economist could be right that Trump ends up in power. Whether he would be any more of a dictator than Biden is is another question. Well, of course, people have already experienced Trump for four years and they knew that they know that, that he did leave in the end. So uh, it's not likely to be, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a dictatorship lasting many, many years, as in Hitler's case. But and also with regard to the southern border, I mean, the race issue is there, although Hitler was much more extreme, of course. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. this sort of keeps the race issue um, going in the public mind. And well, well yeah, the, this week there were stories about Trump uh, talking about like uh, what biological, I forget what the wording he used, but he was basically, you know, comparing immigrants to, to a, a, a disease. Yeah. Well, anyway, I personally hope Trump doesn't get in. I think there are other candidates who are better. And I reckon uh, it's his opponents who keep playing him up. They want him to get to be the candidate. I think you might be right about that. There's, that's uh, I've seen that analysis elsewhere. Well, if Trump does get in, uh, it would certainly rev up the war on China because the Democrats seem to want to focus on attacking Russia for whatever reason. Uh, it seems geopolitically stupid to me. Uh, whereas China is, of course, the real competitor. I mean, it's the pure competitor of the United States. And the Trump forces are generally the hardline anti-China forces. Um, of course, we've we've mentioned we've debated before whether in the Trump administration, people like Robert Cadlick and Mike Pompeo might have been involved in attacking China with COVID in order to try to slow China's economic growth and indeed the entire planet's, which is the only way to slow China's. And that has happened. China's growth has slowed. So they've reduced the relative difference between U.S. and Chinese growth. So if Trump gets back in there. Uh, there could be a big um, uh, ratcheting up of China tensions and who knows what's going to happen around Taiwan. But the, the story this week uh, that got my attention was this Robert Cadillac, who is at the very top of the list of suspects in the suspected U.S. bio attack on China, which led to the COVID epidemic. Uh, Cadillac has spent his entire career as the world's number one advocate of the use of biological weapons. He's the guy who is ultimately the uh, spokesperson for PNAC's statement that biological weapons and race specific ones in particular would, would soon be quote, a politically useful tool. And he spent his entire career boosting the notion of bio biological weapons as a politically useful tool for stopping the rise of enemy economies. And Trump appointed him as his bio war czar. And then the next thing you know, COVID uh, happened in Wuhan, uh, the exact place where you wanna paralyze China's economy at the, at the Chinese New Year. Anyway, so here's Cadillac, uh, now, um, pointing the finger at Fauci and, the, and he's hyping the lab leak theory, which is exactly what you would expect him to do if he indeed well, were behind the biotech. That's my view. I, I advocate the lab leak theory and it, I follow Francis Boyle and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on that. But it's not a matter of blaming uh, America or blaming China either. It's a matter of blaming both together. I mean, the problem with, with, with these stories is when they well, when the lab leak story came out, it, it it sort of omitted the American role 
and it was just sort of focused on the Chinese role. So it was a way of blaming China. And um, a, a, lot of, a lot of the time, the American role has been left out. But when you look at the collaboration between um, the American and Chinese scientists, then it's not a matter of blaming one or the other. And the whole thing obviously happened, it, happened, it, it leaked out by accident. I mean, because the way they do it is that they, this is all sides do this, they develop uh, a pathogen and they develop a back, vaccine together. The pathogen, the virus, is to uh, wipe out the enemy and, and the vaccine is to protect your side. So they develop both together and then occasionally they leak out. And so I think that was what happened. But they... So, so why, why is Cadillac? Why is Cadillac a man who, in, in all of his statements now, he never mentions the fact that he is the world's leading advocate of the use of biological weapons for purposes like slowing your adversary's economy. And, and yeah, that's completely Francis gone Boyle from is, all of this discussion. Francis Boyle is the opposite leader. He's the leader of the anti-bio war force. And he still agrees with this, the lab leak, by collaboration between the two sides. Well, okay, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. We don't have the whole hour to, to, to argue about it. But to me, this is just more uh, confirmation that Ron Unz is right about this particular issue. By the way, just on the question of China, um, I think that what made the Trump years uh, very tense was the Duterte government in the Philippines because um, he was sort of, um, he kicked out the Americans from their bases. They were trying to use the Philippines to take on China. And, um, and then when D Duterte was courting China for some years, for six years, the Americans were out of their bases and and so uh, it, it, China became emboldened, Japan became worried and so on. But mm -hmm. I think now that I personally think that there won't be a clash between China and the US over Taiwan because it will go nuclear within a few days. Both sides would lose. And what I think is that there will be a clash eventually. But in my view, uh, China will develop... Uh, communications and other technology in Central Asia and other parts of the world. And if there's a clash, I think it will happen in the Middle East. And, um, and, and it won't be a matter of, say, Islamic countries versus Israel. It'll be a matter of a whole axis uh, of two sides, maybe one day having some clash, which would be too terrible to think about. That's interesting, but I, I don't see that because now... The, the Zionists have united the whole region against them. So, but we'll we'll see. You know, things can change. But let's let's uh, well, look at at the at the Biden stuff. We just looked at Trump and the way yeah, the yeah. economists. Don't forget the um, the the uh, Red Sea Task Force has yeah. failed to get any of the Arab countries, apart from Bahrain, which hosts American naval base, any of the Arab countries to join. Exactly. Well, we're, yeah, we're, that story's on our list. We'll get to that story. That's down the, uh, down the list right. of slides. Right. Let's first, we're, we're with The Economist predicting that Trump is going to be back in office and is, his opponent is being called Genocide Joe by the young Democratic voters who are not going to vote for him. Um, and here's my piece about Genocide Joe. Uh, I wrote this oh. for American Free Press and posted it at the Substack for Substack subscribers. And of course, to get this genocide, they've been inciting to genocide. Joe Biden's claiming that there were Hamas was beheading babies is classic incitement to genocide, an obvious lie that Biden should be tried and, and convicted and executed for. And pretty much the entire leadership of the Western world, in my view, 
desperately needs to be tried, convicted, and executed for incitement to genocide, as does much of the Israeli leadership, if not its population. Well, this uh, is like this is like the old question of who's going to uh, hang the bell on the on the cat, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. When when you don't when you have a situation where you're ruled by criminal psychopaths and they control the institutions of justice, then you have to start having an argument about whether vigilante justice is um, is acceptable or even necessary. But I can't get too much into that or I'll get banned and arrested. So anyway, well, here's a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's so, also so here... the question, the International Court of Justice, International Criminal Court, whatever it's called, I mean, which which put a warrant on, on um, Putin... Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if it if it does the same for Netanyahu. Indeed, that would be interesting. And of course, they it should should be on Biden and the U.S. leadership as well, as I point out in this article. Well, uh, these you know, ridiculous uh, rape claims that came out uh, two months after the fact, without you know not, no evidence whatsoever. There were you know, no hint of this before, uh, and of course, they're riling up the usual. Uh, feminist, uh, excitable people to try to get some support for this. But if you actually look at the articles about these rape allegations, the whole thing is a complete joke. They're just making it all up, obviously. And uh, so I wrote a satire about this, um, about, you know, Hamas uh, used gas chambers to kill 6 million Jews on October 7th, which is really not that much more extravagant than the kinds of fantasies that they've been spinning with the beheaded babies and the, uh, the, the alleged rapes. Um, so uh, meanwhile, the genocide allegations or the genocide incitement, it's, it's all coming from the other side, right? They're using these false claims to uh, whip up genocidal hysteria and get American support from Genocide Joe. And then they're uh, actually per perpetrating genocide on the other side and bragging about it. They're all, you know, here's here's another well, leading Israeli saying they should level Gaza, turn it into another Auschwitz. I hear that the Hebrew media in Israel have not been showing all this genocide. They've been shielding the uh, Hebrew-speaking Israelis from it. So they don't know what their government's been up to. Well, it's it's today with the internet, you know, it's one keystroke and you can watch, you know, Al Jazeera English or whatever you want and see it. And it's all it's even made, you know, leaking into the New York Times and places like that. So they really don't have any excuse. Uh, and... I think you really have to ask this question, why are the Israelis and the Zionists so psychotic? And here we got a personal psychological explanation from Gary Flomenhoff. Gary Flomenhoff is Jewish, brought up uh, as a child uh, to hate and fear the scary, scary people, the goys who are out to get rid of the Jews. And uh, he kind of managed to uh, return to sanity. And so here he is writing about that uh, question of where does this uh, lunacy come from and there's a whole you know cultural discussion on this you know we're not racist this isn't something biological that you know, is a problem with with jews as 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 a race this is a an ideology and there's a severe problem well, in jewish ideology it begins it begins with the bible i mean the bible depicts the old testament depicts jewish history as a whole series of holocausts one after the other yeah. you know uh you know the exodus in egypt and uh and then uh you know purim in uh the the, the destruction of the state of israel the exile and and um pure uh the persian empire the alleged intended uh murder and uh and then uh the roman empire masada all that sort of thing one after the other 
that's the way they present their history. And they're the only religion that presents the history that way. Yeah, I mean, all, all tribes have these memories of, you know, traumas and their, their ups and downs, their conquests and their traumas. But the Jews have taken it to a whole nother level. And, uh, you know, every Jewish holiday is, is exactly the same. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. And uh, those alleged genocide attempts against Jews throughout history, you, you know, if, if you look back at it, of course, you could see that obviously Jews were not the put upon eternal innocent victims that were always badly treated for no reason whatsoever by all of the hundreds or thousands of neighbors that they've had problems with. Um, but anyway, that's be that as it is. Uh, here's another article on the same topic from Ron Unz, another great article as customary from Ron on the dangers of Jewish paranoia, pointing out that there's a downside to this kind of paranoia. Yes, it's good at whipping people up into a uh, homicidal hysteria to fight wars if you want to fight a war. But uh, seeing the world from a severely um, factually wrong perspective with this vast emotion that drives you to do things that maybe you're not ultimately in your interest, you know, it has a downside. And uh, so Ron is, is uh, predicting problems down the line uh, for, for the Zionists and, and, and the it, Jewish it community. It makes any, any, any uh, solution to, the, to this crisis so difficult because like, if you take, for example, Northern Ireland, I must admit, I never thought that the two sides would come to peace and it was, you know, a tribute to everyone who did. But I mean, in the case of this this crisis here, which has been going on for what six, seven, eight, eighty years now, um, it you know there doesn't seem to be any peace in sight. With this, as you say, psychosis, it's you know it just makes peace impossible. Yeah, I think basically we need the you know the South African solution, the Algerian solution. It's going to be one of the two, but either way. Uh, the end of the settler colony is pretty much uh, written. And here's the axis of resistance making sure that happens. Uh, the axis of resistance had a big week. The uh, Yemen government, and you know, people call it the Houthis, you know, whose official name is the Ansarullah, but they are the de facto government of Yemen. They control about 80% of the population, territory holding 80% of Yemen's population. And of course, the battle mended straight. Uh, where they have been making sure that it's hard to ship if you're an Israeli shipping line or if you're uh, taking stuff to Israel. So there's a big crisis now. Insurance rates are way up. Uh, global shippers are, are not going through the Red Sea and Suez Canal anymore. Um, so the U.S., of course, is going to try to, quote unquote, counter this. Well, what are they going to do to counter this, Peter? They, they haven't got Australian sending ships. Australia said they'd sell, send a few personnel. But they've obviously been pressuring uh, many countries around the world to contribute because, you know, this is their empire. They want to be able to show that they can still rally the troops. Well, the, uh, the Yemenis uh, are really the one nation standing up uh, against the genocide of Gaza. So, you know, they're going to get a, a big plug in the history books for that, the kind of courage it takes for a battered nation like Yemen to do this is uh, is really uh, awesome and impressive. And so got to give uh, Yemen a huge uh, shout out. Well, over in a, another aspect of the, the axis of resistance is over in, in uh, Lebanon. And Hezbollah has been active throughout this genocidal assault on Gaza. They, they're, of course, not firing everything they have. If they did, they'd pretty much level Tel Aviv. But they have been uh, annoying the Zionists uh, who've had to evacuate hundreds of thousands of people from the northern border. And now they're actually hitting the Iron Dome launchers. So that's uh, uh, 
again, if, if, if this doesn't get resolved, the possibility of it spinning out of control into the big Mideast war that you were mentioning, Peter, uh, that's actually realistic. I don't think it's going to be one block in the Middle East against another. It's going to be basically um, everybody against the Zionists. Uh, but the Zionists, of course, are backed by the U.S. Apparently, there's an Iranian ship in the, in the Red Sea, which is giving some sort of intelligence assistance to the uh, Houthis. So the, the question is whether that ship will get attacked. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll see. It's these days ships uh, in general are sitting ducks because the uh, anti-ship missile technology has outstripped the ability to stop it. And uh, we'll see who sh who uh, who sinks whose boat, as that country music song we played earlier would have it. Another part of the axis of resistance is, of course, uh, Syria, which stood strong after the usual suspects managed to destroy uh, Iraq and you know get rid of Saddam and and get rid of uh, Gaddafi and destroy Libya and then they went to destroy Syria. They did pretty much level the place, but they didn't manage to overthrow its government and enact their regime change. Uh, well, uh, Assad is still strong, still in power, and uh, he's challenging the uh, the holy Holocaust religion or Holocaustianity, as some people say, uh, which has replaced Christianity. We're coming up on Christmas, so let's just say that you know, the new religion of the West, of course, is you know the new Holy Trinity would be the the, the Jewish people are Jesus, the gas chambers are the crucifixion. And the state of Israel is the resurrection. That's the religion that you're all supposed to bow down to. And if you don't agree with that religion, you're uh, going to have your career destroyed. They'll call you terrible names. And if you go to certain European countries, you may actually go to prison, as my friend uh, uh, Alfred has. Uh, has he's, he's back in prison again. Um, so Alfred I, Schaefer, I, that is. Yeah. In your article, you, you suggested... Um, blaspheming uh, and denying the Holocaust and that sort of thing. I suggest um, equivalence. I mean, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been writing to a number of people uh, arguing that it's time for Holocaust reparations to be diverted from Jews to Palestinians. And you may be surprised to know that Germans are still paying Holocaust reparations to Jews 78 years after the end of the Second World War while the Israeli state, the Jewish state, is conducting its own holocaust. So I believe in using the word holocaust of what Israel's doing to Palestinians and calling it two holocausts and saying 78 years is enough. One holocaust does not justify another. Yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. And I, I'm, I'm not... Uh supporting quote-unquote denying anything i'm supporting uh seeking the truth and speaking the truth and then also on a, a sort of a separate track uh mocking deriding and using satire and parody to try to desacralize the sacred narrative of the yeah. holy holocaust when you think that uh they're still getting reparations 78 years after the end of the war these cannot be people who themselves were in camps. Uh, it, 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 it's increasingly looking like a shakedown, as Norman Fieldstein called it. Absolutely. Okay. And the shakedown, and a shout out to Assad for uh, saying things that will make very powerful people very, very angry at him. Um, and uh, I just tossed this in as the, the latest of the you know, Holocaust hoaxers uh, stories. They're, they're hundreds if not thousands of stories of these alleged eyewitnesses to the 
uh, Holocaust, people who claim to have been in Auschwitz and they're raised by wolves after they escaped Auschwitz and this sort of thing, and it's all lies. So the really the, the the thing about the Holocaust, right here, I'm not denying. Obviously, I'm not denying that there was an ethnic cleansing of uh, Jews, among others, uh, in and that they were, you know, they were sent to camps. Uh, there was a plan to get get them out of the German-controlled territory. Um, but whether there was a plan to exterminate every single Jew that they could get their hands on, whether most of them were killed in gas chambers, uh, and whether the total number adds up to six million, I think those are highly debatable topics. And if you actually sit down and read the literature on that, um, and I've read, you know, just introductory materials, like maybe a dozen books, uh, a couple dozen, if you count tangential ones, it's just not at all obvious that the official version of, of the Holy Trinity of Holocaust Orthodoxy is true. It just, it's not yeah. obvious. And they claim it is well, obvious. And that's why they're putting people in um, prison, but it's not. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the leading Jewish Holocaust scholar, but he comes up with a figure of Hilberg. five and a half. Hilberg, yeah. Uh, yeah, he comes up with a figure of five and a half million. And I think, you know, the point about the six million is that it's just like a formula. You know, it, you either, it, it's, like a, it's like a confession of faith. It's like the catechism. Exactly. You believe it or you don't believe it, you know. Right, but, and, but if you don't believe so it, you're going to prison. Sorry, yeah. You, but, I mean... But Hilberg himself argued for five and a half million. Right. So he, he actually could have been jailed in Germany if he were around yeah. today. Uh, yeah. Well, let's continue yeah. with our axis of resistance news. We got sidetracked by this uh, Assad talking about the Holocaust. Uh, so this was a great kind of uh, program, right? You can't tell the players without a program. They tell you when you go to watch a soccer game, they try to sell you a program. Well, this axis of resistance program here at, at indie.ca is is uh, quite good. It's a good introduction to the topic, and it goes over, you know, the, the Houthis or Ansarullah of Yemen and uh, Hezbollah and the various Palestinian resistance groups led by Hamas and the Al Qasim Brigade, whose elite troops are the you know the Martyrs Division, uh, were holding their own in Gaza even as we speak, and uh, of course uh, Syria and 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 elsewhere with the. Uh, Islamic Republic of Iran being the, the most powerful country uh, supporting this axis. So, you know, if if, if anybody's going to be um, putting the Zionist genocidal settler colonists out of business, it would be the axis of resistance. Well, I'll disagree with you. I believe that, that what we're seeing the formation right now of what Samuel Hunt, Huntington forecast, which was um, a Confucian Islamic alliance. And the fact that the Arab countries have not joined the Red Sea Task Force is just another indication that that's forming. And it must terrify the globalists because the globalists are the ones behind the Ukraine war, but the Zionists are behind this Gaza war. And it's it's making it more likely they'll lose the Ukraine war they, the, the globalists don't see Netanyahu as an ally at all. He's wrecking a lot of their plans. Mm -hmm. Good point. And we'll talk some more about that when we get into your book, which, uh, you know, if this is the program for the axis of resistance in this story from Indy.ca, your book, The Cosmopolitan Empire, is the program for sort of the four competing world domination conspiracies. We will talk about that in a moment. Well, here's our, our final story from the axis of resistance category here. Alistair Crook uh, points out that it seems that the Palestinian resistance is, they've been reading Sun Tzu, and maybe Netanyahu and his friends haven't, or maybe he just doesn't care because he's more interested in his own career than in the strategic benefits to his endangered genocidal ent entity. 
Uh, but I thought Elster Crook made a good point here, which is that ultimately time is not on the side of Israel. Yep. And, um, and, um, um, now, what's, what's the name of that, um, uh, that, uh, that person who, from about a few hundred years ago, who, who write, who wrote, um, uh, Well, I can't think of we, we can we can uh, uh, let you we can we don't, we're not going to wait at leisure telling you until you come up with that. So we'll 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 let you, let it when it pops in your head, you can tell us. But yeah. but meanwhile, uh, um, yeah. I, I thought that the the Sun Tzu it, discussion it, 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 here uh, was, was apropos. The statement in, it's called "La Synagogue Sterile Sans Null Fruit." Uh, in in um, Oh, I just got to see if I actually can find it. But uh, um, so, what's what's the relevance to Crook's essay you know, here? Uh, it, it's it's that uh, man who 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 wrote all these predictions that have lasted for centuries, uh, and it's got that a quatrain in it called uh, about. It seems to be about Israel. Um, I can't remember his name now. Oh, um, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Right, right. The uh, Nostradamus, right? Nostradamus yeah. has there's a quatrain in there that says "La synagogue sterile sans null fruit," and it seems to be because back in those days, no one would have had any idea that there would be a a, a recreated Israel. It seems to be saying that this project will fail. Interesting. Okay, so Nostradamus called it, and uh, I think Alistair Crook is calling it in a slightly less clear way. Well, here we are. We finally arrived at the halfway point of the show, and here's your book, Cosmopolitan Empire, One World But Whose, that posits four, count them, four separate world takeover conspiracies. And I, I think this this is a really good book here. Now, I will say that you could have used an editor, because there is a certain amount of repetition. However, it's still a good read. Uh, and the points you're making are are excellent ones, I, and I, I think that they do help us understand certain obscure, you know, aspects of the, you know, or even bizarre or you know, inexplicable aspects of the political scene today. That there's, you know, and, and in particular, you're pointing at these two figures that the mainstream really never talks about. Even a lot of the alternative media never talks about, namely the the founder of Illuminism, Adam Weishaupt. And and uh, and the continuing relevance of H.G. Wells, and then to a certain extent Trotsky. Even a lot of folks these days think of Trotsky as some marginal figure who had no real influence on history. Well, uh, you, you've you've shown that these these people that Illuminism of of Weishaupt, that the uh, utopian technocratic socialism of Wells, uh, and, and to some extent sort of a one world. Uh, revolutionary Marxist vision of Trotsky are still relevant today. That's actually their, that those ideas are still around, whether people are conscious of them or not. That's right, and they're particularly hiding it. Uh, you know, they like for example Antifa. A lot mm -hmm. of the Antifa people who don black masks are Trotskyists, and um, they they are not calling themselves Trotskyists much these days, but. You will see them uh, called socialist this or socialist that in Australia, socialist alliance, socialist alternative, uh, and they are Trotskyists. 
and they they have been controlling the streets except until the lockdown protests and it was a real shock for them to to lose control of the streets at that time mm -hmm. indeed so let's uh, go through your slideshow here's the four factions of the elite uh let's let's do a, a quick version of of who they are yeah well can i just I assume that a lot of your uh, viewers or listeners are familiar with the LaRouche literature, Executive Intelligence Review. Mm -hmm. And I have to uh, give them credit for what they did, but I'm also saying that I'm going beyond them. And if you want to write books revealing who's really running the world, there are limits on what you can say. Because, you know, when it's completely true, you won't be able to get it published. You know, no one will publish your book or your magazine. So you can't come out explicitly and saying exactly how things are run. So and, and, and the most the most taboo thing probably is the kind of overrepresentation of Jews in some of these movements. Yeah. Well, that's right. So the Russian people deserve credit for for bringing a lot of things out into the open, but they also hid some. So if, if what I have done is build upon the LaRouche approach, they do talk about the British as the single conspiratorial movement, the Cecil Rhodes movement. But um, they also talk about Soros and the Rothschilds, and I've li uh, listed them as a separate faction, the globalist faction, who've actually taken over the Cecil Rhodes movement. Now, mm -hmm. you can see it, it clearly on the case of race migration because Rhodes advocated migration out of England the globalists are advocating migration into England, into America, Australia, and so on. And these are bankers. We know many of them are uh, Jewish. It's not certain about David Rockefeller. The Rockefellers are an ancient Sephardic family, but in other words, Jewish, but that's centuries ago, and it's not known whether they maintain Jewish identity. But the Rocker Foundation did contribute to funding the joint organization in Soviet Russia in the 1920s, which was to settle Jewish families on the land, which could be an indication of continued Jewish identity. But anyway, there's obviously a Masonic part of it, too. Uh, and just, the, I mean, you, a, a lot of conspiracy people talk about the Talmud. I don't believe that uh, George Soros or the Rothschild family read the Talmud. I think they're into a, a different kind of Judaism, which I call Masonic Judaism. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really understand it. And after all, they keep it secret, what it really means. But we will be exploring that as we go on. Now, Okay. And, and let me just say that the one aspect of your, of your scheme that I'm not sure I agree with is having the Greens as their own world takeover movement yeah uh, okay I, I, well, I think that the, the way i see it we'll get to them in a minute okay so, so then you've got the netanyahu faction and um uh okay everyone yeah so obviously they are i mean the globalist jews are zionist to a degree but but nowhere extreme like netanyahu's faction and uh uh and then the green left well, the green left function is the left wing of the globalists. So they agree on a lot of things like open borders. They agreed on the lockdown. Um, they disagree on some things like um, uh, the green left includes, say, Jeremy Corbyn. The economist was trying to get him out 
and they did get him out. And you know, uh, and um, and right now the green left uh, is is say Bernie Sanders, uh, the Squad, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, those sort of people, uh, and they're they're actually making a comeback right now uh, in terms of this Gaza war. They've really stuck their heads up and uh, and they're they're blocking. The, the usual uh, the lobby's ability to control opinion in mm-hmm. in the United States in schools and co- in universities in Congress you know they are they are making a run right now mm-hmm. right I, 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 see, I see however like I, it looks to me like with HG Wells for example he talked he wants he wanted a uh, top-down global dictatorship and just like all of the other one world people, from Weishaupt through the Marxian socialists and so on, uh, through Wells and, and all of these people, they, they want this one world. And they the first reason is to stop war. As long as you have sovereign nations, you're going to have war. So we have to get rid of sovereign nations with the weapons that we have today. That's their number one argument. And then they can throw in this number two argument, which is to deal with the environmental problems. We need one world. And then, of course, they could throw in number three argument, which is the epidemics that we're going to have to deal with. We need one world so we could stop the epidemic. So they just come up with these various excuses or reasons why you need one world. But the, to me, it's it's there isn't necessarily a whole different world takeover conspiracy called the Greens uh, or called the peace movement for that matter. Rather, those are simply excuses that are given by various types of globalists uh, why well, you know, to I, justify I, I, their well, projects. Well, I think there's factions. Uh, and uh, I mean the, the woke woke our woke generation, the young people in schools and universities, they are they belong to the green left. And you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I've got three three children who belong, well, four actually probably belong to the green left. Wow. Uh, and and how and, and what about your children? No, yours don't. No, my, to the green no, left. my 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 kids, alhamdulillah, are, are are Muslims and definitely not part of that green yeah. left. Well, let's, let's now, get through the this, slides here. <laughs> okay, now this slide was published in Haaretz, and what this shows is that Haaretz belongs to a different faction from Netanyahu. It, it's Haaretz belongs to the globalist faction, and so does The Economist magazine. Uh, you can see that uh, and Netanyahu's flying the plane. It's got the name Israel on it, which means that 9-11 was an, a Mossad job, uh, and uh, and that uh, uh, Bin Laden was just a patsy. So there were seven hijackers who were said to be alive after the event. Mohammed Atta's father said that he rang his son after the 9-11 event. What that meant was that there was identity theft. Uh, uh, the, there was a fake Mohammed Atta who was a Mossad agent, and he had a girlfriend in Florida called um, Amanda Keller. Keller. And she she did a video about him. He liked pork chops, uh, and uh, he lived a quite un-Islamic lifestyle, and she said that he spoke Hebrew, and he had been in in a militia. So he was using identity theft. Mossad specializes in identity theft, fake passports and that sort of thing. And there were at least seven of those hijackers who were impersonated by Mossad agents. In fact, one of them, uh, I think, I think Atta was supposed to be able to speak German, uh, the real Mohammed. And, and Hebrew as well. Uh, uh, did he? 
Yeah, yeah. Amanda yeah. Keller said that that the Muhammad Adel no, she no, knew no, was yeah, was a yeah, fluent yeah, the speaker one, of Hebrew. The, the fake one, the fake one spoke Hebrew. Oh, that right, right, right. No, the real one did not. Yeah. No, the real one spoke German, and someone spoke to him in German, and uh, that sorry, the someone spoke to the fake. Mohammed Atta in German at the flight school, I suppose, and he didn't understand the German. And there was another one of these uh, fake hijackers who was supposed to be speaking French, and someone spoke to him in French, and he couldn't understand French. So th this is yeah. what was happening. That Mos that that Israel has a way of um, in infiltrating uh, Palestinian and Islamic groups with with their own specialists um, and. Um, they they can speak the language and they they, they give a spin, you know that people is convincing. Um, so anyway, bear in mind this cartoon shows that there are two factions. You've got you've got the globalists, and obviously Haaretz's editor was a globalist, and you've got Netanyahu's Zionist faction. So and, and so the globalists here are basically saying that Netanyahu running 9/11 was ultimately a self-destructive act for Israel. Well, yes, and, and it's very courageous of them to run this ad too, you know. So yeah. anyway, let's go to the next one. Now, this is an ad by The Economist magazine, and they are globalists. And it, let's think of it as Rothschild globalists. You know, that, that it's Jewish. It's not entirely owned by the Rothschilds. And... Uh, Normally, uh, the Jewish lobby was never mentioned in the American media. So at this time, the Iran bill was before Congress. And the New York Times mentioned IPAC's lobbying Congress on it. So normally, this kind of lobbying was invisible. It wasn't mentioned. But it did get mentioned at this point. And what the Economist cartoon is saying is that the Jewish lobby controls Congress. If you look at the the star of David on the shield, that shows that they own Congress and there's a chain holding Obama back from doing a deal. And equally in Iran, there are hardliners holding the Iranian leader back too. So that is the meaning. And the ADL called it the anti-Semitic canard. Right, even, even though it was basically true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, once again, this cartoon shows the two factions. Now, when you when you think of the protests against Netanyahu, and by the way, my book was published in late September, before October 7. After October 7, these two factions have closed ranks, pretty much. Mm -hmm. But before that, for some years, they were at loggerheads and almost at civil war. So this is really to do with two factions of the conspiracy, the globalists and the Zionists. And they may be at loggerheads again before too long, as the is Netanyahu's foolhardiness in this self-destructive well, war be. on Gaza, just like with 9-11, yeah. becomes obvious. Yeah. Shall we go to the next okay. one? Okay, now, this is a retaliation-type cartoon from the Zionist camp against the globalist camp. So Soros is in the globalist camp, and uh, and... Netanyahu's son published this cartoon. And, you know, it's such a wonderful cartoon because if it had come out from some sort of anti-Semitic quarters, <laughs> it would have been discredited. But having come from the Netanyahu camp, who can, you know, it's obviously the real thing. Mm -hmm. 
And over here on the left, of course, the reptile, that's David X portrayal of um, uh, the reptilian. Right, right. So, yeah, they, they're pretending they're just making fun of the conspiracy theory, but uh, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Okay. And how about this one? What's who? Well, yes, this didn't get into the, uh, the, the national edition of the New York Times, but it got into the international print edition. And um, I don't know how I came across these cartoons, but you can imagine I saved them because if I hadn't saved them, we wouldn't have them now. Uh, but uh, this is a wonderful cartoon uh, uh, showing that basically the lobby dominates the precedent. Yeah, yeah, there was, and there was a big outcry about this one, of course, too, from the ADL and the usual suspects. And, and I think the New York Times actually apologized for this one. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think the, yeah, the liberal globalist element at places like the New York Times is not completely on board with the Zionist element. And that's one reason that they published some of those stories like we saw well, in today's, yeah, in today's lineup the, about, about the bombs, the, the huge bombs being be dropped that, on Gaza. Yeah, it could be that the editor who published this one wasn't the top editor. He might have just, for example, been in charge of the international print edition and 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 took a gamble on it. But anyway, he got away with it. Yeah. Didn't get sacked. And then the same uh, the same editor, I think, published this one, sh showing Netanyahu as Moses, uh, bringing uh, not not uh, the Ten Commandments as a universal war, but Zionism. Uh, and that um, almost looks more like a tombstone than a tablet. Yes. Right. But so once, once again, again yeah, yeah. this shows that the New York Times belongs to the globalist camp. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, just like, like the economists. If you looked at the front cover of my book, you would have seen an image of something around it. You probably didn't know what it was. And this is what it was. This is the Supreme Court of Israel. And on top of it is a Masonic pyramid with all-seeing eye, as on the $1 bill. Underneath the pyramid is a library. And this building, by the way, is the most beautiful building in Israel, and it will be the most expensive building. And it's uh, this being the Supreme Court is where the judges... You remember they had the big debate over over uh, the Supreme Court uh, whether or not it it uh, would be able to disallow um, uh, resolutions of the Knesset, and you know uh, Netanyahu's faction and the other and the other faction were almost at war in the streets of Jerusalem and and uh, Tel Aviv. Well, this this is the Supreme Court where those judges are based. And in uh, the top of the building, under the pyramid, is a library of three levels. Uh, and beneath the library are stairs, three flights of 10 stairs, making 30 stairs plus three levels of the library. And it's pretty clear uh, a connection to the 33 degrees of Freemasonry. So this is a Masonic pyramid. And you can also be called an Illuminati pyramid. Illumination from the pyramid enlightens the judges. You can't see the pyramid from the street. It can be seen from surrounding buildings or from planes.
Interesting. Okay. So the globalist faction is the Illuminist faction, tracing itself back to Adam, Adam yeah. Weishoff and the Illuminati. But, but one other thing, one other thing is that can we get this this building, this pyramid, sorry, has never been shown in the mainstream media. Now you can imagine there would be a lot of people who would be interested in it. It would sell newspapers. People would say that's like the dollar bill, you know. It's like and, the Denver airport. And, but, but yeah, that I mean, so the fact that they have it has never been published in the mainstream media, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that the Rothschilds are so powerful and so wealthy, they clearly don't want it to be made uh, a matter of public uh, uh, passing over. They don't. They don't. They want their privacy. They like their privacy. It's not like the bishops of the Catholic Church that the media keeps splashing over the newspapers. They well, don't secret society don't, after all. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't do that to the Rothschilds. Mm -hmm. uh, basically uh, uh, so basically the fact that the media haven't touched this, they haven't run a magazine articles about this means that they are subservient. The media know that they could make a lot of money out of selling newspapers about it or magazines, but they don't touch it mm. because some things are taboo. Well, so just like covering the Bilderberger meetings every year was taboo for years and years, yeah. but finally yeah, that taboo right. got worn away. Right, okay, yeah. so now, uh, there is, here's, yes, the, here's the building. There is, there is a plaque in the Supreme Court which says that the Rothschild family designed and paid for it. And there's a painting at the entrance which shows members of the Rothschild family with Shimon Perez, Yitzhak Rabin, and a model of the building. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's definitely the Illuminist faction, the liberal globalist Illuminist yeah. faction. Uh, well, now, well, here's here's the Temple Mount. Uh, this is a different faction yeah. here, isn't it? That's right. Uh, so this is the Zionist, and this is not the globalist faction because the globalists are not itching for the Third Temple. The Economist magazine accepts that there is a debate about the, the original location of the original temple. There is. and um, But anyway, the, the Zionists don't accept that. The rabbis don't, uh, don't accept it. And here's the U.S. ambassador, a Jewish uh, man from America, uh, David Friedman, with this, posing with this photo and uh, the Dome of the Rock and the, Mos the Mosque of... Uh, uh, what's it called? Mosque of uh, Amman, isn't it? Well, the, well, the, the Mosque there is now the, the Al-Aqsa yeah, Mosque. Al-Aqsa Mosque, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it, They're missing. The, the, the Jewish Third Temple is there. And this is, of course, what the uh, the fundamentalists want to do, Netanyahu's faction. They believe that the Messiah will rule from Jerusalem. It, you know, and that means rule us. Right. So their one world takeover conspiracy is kind of the classic uh, Jewish messianic millenarian idea that the Jewish yeah. Messiah will return, conquer all of the non-Jewish tribes, but, the Goys, and, but, uh, and rule the world from that from Jerusalem. But, but uh, a number of experts have said that uh, the, the, the site of the Temple Mount is not actually where the original temple was. Instead, it was down the hill. Uh, where there's a spring, uh, natural spring water, the Gihon Spring, because uh, they had to have uh, spring water for their uh, purification ceremonies. Anyway, 
right. that that's something we're discussing in the book. But just be aware that there is a debate about the location of the original temple. Because if the original temple is not at the Temple Mount, then there's no reason why the Jews can't build their third temple down the hill where the original temple was. Mm. And as it is, the, the, uh, the Temple Mount is actually a part of the Antonia Fortress, a Roman fortress, with, uh, which housed 6,000 Roman soldiers. They had to have that many there because the Jews were such a troublesome group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked about this with Nick Collarstrom last night on my radio show, and he agrees with you that there was no temple uh, on the current uh, site of the Alexa Mosque. Uh, yeah. Well, he, here's, the, here's yeah, what, yeah. The, the calendar that you mentioned earlier in the show, the yeah. Jewish well, holidays the, outnumber Christian ones. Yeah, so this is the, uh, the, the I have the calendar for um, 2003 and 2004 as well. Um, and uh, you're, this is the calendar of the U.S. House of Representatives, and it lists holidays. If you look at uh, Monday the 10th, you'll see it says Passover begins at sundown. Well, there are eight of those Jewish entries in the, in the, in the calendar for the year. Uh, only eight Jewish entries are only two Christian. And uh, in this one here, you'll see Easter Sunday is on the 16th. But if you look at Friday the 14th, there's nothing there. That's Good Friday, and it's not listed. Interesting. So why are, why, why are they showing so many Jewish holidays? Well, I, to me, it means that it, the idea of the uh, United States as a Christian country, is that's a myth. It used to be a Christian country. It, they're, they're trying to make it into a Jewish country now. Now, this is September, and you've got four Jewish holidays listed. There are no Christian ones. So you've got Rosh Hashanah on the 20th and the 22nd and Yom Kippur on the 29th and 30th. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, maybe now, we need fire extinguishers. I mean, a lot of people will say that the Christian Zionists are the ones who, who are ruling the roost over the Jewish Zionists. And I think this calendar shows it's not true. It's the Jewish Zionists who are running the show, not the Christian Zionists. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think they're better placed to have more money and sophistication and a tighter yeah. network. Um, so here again in December, there are, uh, Hanukkah uh, has two entries on the 12th and the 20th, and Christmas has one. Of course, right. Easter East and Christmas are, uh, are pretty much secularized now, partly through Jewish assistance. And then this is what that Polish legislature uh, legislature was uh, pushing back against when he took a fire right. extinguisher to the menorah That's full right. of Hanukkah this candles. Is what it's about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there are hardly any Jews in Poland. It's kind of weird that their yeah. uh, parliament has this gigantic menorah. Apparently, the menorah in Washington D.C. has been getting bigger and bigger every year since. It was apparently, first. there are more Jews moving back from Israel to Poland. Mm -hmm. It's a kind right. of an escape. Patch, I think, you know, for if things go bad in Israel. Yeah, one, one of many. And actually, I, th I think that probably is a good idea that they should go back to where they actually came from yeah. uh, and leave the Palestinians alone. Uh, well, yeah. here, here, here's yeah. your uh, article from Time magazine about yeah. Soros killing the tiger, namely killing the yeah. Asian economic yeah. tigers. Now, this is from the Asian edition of Time magazine. It's not from the American edition. Uh, and uh, they probably never thought that anyone would put it on the internet. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, 
but I got I got uh, an original copy. I got a hard copy of this magazine and a high-resolution scanner, and I took this photo so you can see exactly what they were up to, and they admitted. Uh, one of the speculators says, we are like wolves looking down on a herd of elk. That's their mentality. And uh, you'll notice that the four currencies plunged here. Only one went up first, and that was the Thai baht. It went up because Soros had been borrowing baht in order to short it. They were wanted to punish ASEAN for admitting Burma. And American politicians had been making a big thing about don't admit Burma, don't admit all this thing about human rights. It's the same as in Sri Lanka when there was a civil war. They were more or less siding with the tigers. They were making it difficult for the government to... to to um, handle the tigers. Anyway, they have this thing about human rights and Myanmar is one of their pet hates and um, on Burma. And so they tried to get ASEAN not to admit it. Uh, and you won't find this anywhere else. You know, this, this article was on the internet at, at the time site for a few years after it came out. And then they, they took the graphs down uh, but I put them on my site, and and now I have the high resolution version. This is this one, uh, and you can go to my website for more too. Which is mailstar.net. It's M A I L. This is the real thing, you know. This is when you know Mahati was talking about Soros doing all of this, and uh, he was being blamed as sort of an anti-Semite or something. But here they are actually admitting what they did. And um, yeah, Dr. Mahathir uh, has been known to tell the truth about controversial subjects like 9-11, for example. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, this this book now now here's but, Bettina. Yeah. Okay, this this is Bettina Arndt. She used to be a sex therapist and a feminist, but with the extremist extremism of the feminist movement, you know, which is basically Marxist Trotskyist, really, uh, she's come out against it and um They've been saying there's an epidemic of rape on university campuses and young men are, are being unfairly treated in courts. And, you know, universities, universities were setting up their own courts, you know, and, you know, kangaroo courts. Anyway, she came out against it. She, you know, said research showed that it wasn't true. They tried to stop her speaking. Now, if you look... Uh, so, so she's doing a campus tour called Fake Rape. Uh, you know, that's what she called it, Fake Rape. Uh, uh, the, the sign in the middle, Rally Against Sexism and Bigotry, that is a protest against her. And at the bottom below that sign, you can see another sign, which is Victorian Socialists. And they are a Trotskyist group. That's what I mean about Trotskyists being, you know, the people running all these things, but they don't, people don't actually know they're Trotskyists. But the Victorian socialists are a Trotskyist group. And it's interesting that the Trotskyists uh, being these uh, Marxist revolutionaries, would you'd think that they would be the enemies of the big bankers. But as it turns out, just as, uh, as big bankers financed the Bolshevik revolution, 
that both groups seem to have an interest in destroying the uh, families and, and nations. Um, and so again, this one world conspiracy uh, well, to bankers, destroy families bankers, and nations and, and create a world government. The bankers were backing Trotsky. They were not backing Stalin. Stalin overthrew Trotsky. Uh, Trotsky was their man, and it's shown that very clearly in the book. Right. Yeah, your book uh, does a good job of fleshing that out. People should read the book for the details. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. here, here are the Trotskyites now, out there trying here, to shut down. another group of Trotskyists. Yeah. We, we came across one called Victorian Socialists. This group is called Socialist Alternative. And... Um, and this young woman is speaking into a megaphone to drown out anything that Bettina says. Um, the the group Socialist Alternative is a Trotskyist group. So once again, this is the point that you know most of these hard left groups of people are Trotskyists, and even Antifa will have a lot of Trotskyists in it mm -hmm. because all. All you have to do is don and black mask. Antifa is not a movement as such, but just a label for various uh, groups of, of hard leftists. They can all just come together and put on their masks. Right. And so we can see how these supposedly revolutionary groups, which are attacking uh, traditional uh, families and nations, are actually doing so on behalf of an effort to replace traditional families and nations with a, a one world government. Yes. That's right. Okay. And now, uh, this, what's this cross in, in Hobart doing? This is from Hobart, Tasmania. Uh, uh, one of three uh, inverted crosses, fairly big ones, at the Museum of Old and New Art uh, in 2018. Uh, Tasmania used to be a, quite a Christian place, and there were protests about these, but... Um, this museum apparently is is a is a tourist draw for progressives, and the government didn't want to jeopardise its tourist industry, so it didn't interfere with this. It just let this this display continue for a few days. And that goes to show that the attack on families and nations is also it also includes an attack on traditional religions. Because eliminating right. all and, of these institutions yeah. is necessary and, to uh, clear the board for a world government. Many of the religious leaders in Australia kept quiet about it, but the leader of the Coptic Church uh, uh, made some pretty strong statements about it. And I think it's because the traditional, the main, the main churches have been cowed by all of this bad publicity about uh, sex abuse and stuff like that. It's sort of it's made them retreat into their shell, but the Coptic Church didn't feel affected by that at all. It came out fighting uh, against this. Yeah, it's interesting that the formerly Christian world seems to tolerate all of this blasphemy a lot more than the Islamic world does. You won't, you won't get away with this kind of stuff in Morocco. Uh, yeah. Now, this photo is from inside a satanic, satanic temple, and I blurred out the face of that man who's sitting there uh, the statue on the left is a baphomet, which is, uh, uh, anyway, that's making the devil's horn sign. And also you see the inverted cross, the same as we saw in Hobart. It's satanic. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, I, I remember uh, when I lived in San Francisco, 
uh, part of the weird tour guide to San Francisco that I wrote included uh, tours to places where uh, Anton LaVey had founded the Church of Satan and done this and that. Um, and then, then along came Michael Aquino, uh, a, a colonel uh, in the U.S. Army, who was uh, credibly accused of horrible child abuse at the Presidio military Base daycare center. He beat the rap, was promoted to head of all U.S. military psychological operations, and he is a suspect in all sorts of um, mind slavery, sex abuse type stuff. Uh, so yeah, the church, the satanic movement seems to be used by some of these usual suspects, but ultimately, would you agree that its purpose is to undermine uh, traditional religions in order to clear the board for the world government? Well, I don't know if, you know, if, if, if it is to that, if that is its goal, I mean, one can guess that that's the goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I personally right. don't think they'll ever get their world government. I think that the alliance of China and Russia and and in various Islamic countries will mean that we sort of end up in something like the Cold War situation, which will last for decades. That's what I reckon. Okay, so hopefully this uh, satanic thing will, uh, you know, become yeah. kind of a museum piece. Yeah. So do you, you think the yeah. Beatles were satanic? Well, look, here they are. Uh, John John uh, Lennon um, uh, uh, wanted Alastair Crowley on the influence on the front cover of Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, and uh, uh, and he um, honoured Crowley because of Crowley's saying, do whatever you want. Uh, and that was Lennon's philosophy too. And uh, so here they are, uh, Paul McCartney's making the triple six sign and John Lennon's making the devil's horn and they're both satanic. Now, they they were probably the first group or maybe one of the first to, to make these satanic symbols are the first uh, amongst rock musicians. But since that time, rock musicians have gone much further down that path and um, and some of it's explicitly Masonic too. Right. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I understand Led Zeppelin, uh, Robert Plant and those guys had some kind of a, they bought Crowley's old house in Scotland and were trying to raise demons and things like that. Uh, yeah. oh, there's Anton LaVey. He, he actually apparently... Uh, when I, I included some stuff about what, you know, his doings in my weird tour guide, he he actually apparently uh, liked the book. So I, I have the dubious distinction of having authored a book that the founder of the Church of Satan liked. Um, so may Allah forgive me. Yes. Well, the Anti-Defamation League uh, uh, argued to the Supreme Court that Christian groups should not be able to provide after-school religious instruction, unless satanic groups were allowed to do it too. And this is actually on the ADL website, and I've got a link to it in my book. So the ADL supports the right of Satanists to have the same rights as all the other religious groups. Yes, that's yeah. right. And, and that, that's and, religious and, freedom. And by uh, the way, the Rush people, <laughs> you know, the Rush people, they talk about the British all the time, and in some of the literature, they depict the Jewish lobby as a tool of the British. But there's one of their books where they depict the Jewish lobby um, as an independent force. And that is the book called The Ugly Truth About the ADL. And they really come out strongly there against the ADL and saying how it's wrecking things and destroying Christianity and promoting things like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the, the ADL, of course, has a very uh, dubious uh, history, to say the least. We won't get into the details right now. Uh, by, by the way, there's the ADL's been in the, in the news just 
in the last day or two, they've come out against um, things woke uh, because the the woke generation thinks in terms of oppressors and oppressed. Uh, and, um, in, it, and they're noticing that, that Jewish Zionists are oppressors. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. We, the, the ADL didn't have any problem as long as the woke people were, were talking about white people as oppressors. But once they began to talk about Jews as oppressors, the ADL wanted to clamp down the whole thing. And that's mm. what they're doing. I'm shocked, now. shocked. <laughs> so what, what, who is this Altian Childs? Well, he's an Australian musician uh, who uh, became a Freemason and then um, revealed its secrets in a five-hour video. Uh, it's a bit difficult to watch because it sort of it sort of all goes all over the place, but it does show lots of photos of um, of politicians making ma ma uh, Masonic signs, and he shows many different kinds of Masonic signs, and he says that uh, Freemasonry pretends to be a Christian organization or or you know uh, friendly to Christianity, but actually inside it's anti-Christian. So he says it's Satanism in disguise, but most Freemasons don't know uh, who they're serving. So basically, the, the low-level Freemasons, the, the Blue Lodges, which are degrees one to three, they're not conspiratorial. It's only the higher ones that are conspiratorial, and th they use the low ones um, as a cover, as it were. So your local Masons, like, you know, I know some Freemasons and they're not conspiratorial. Uh, they're just ordinary guys. Uh, and um, but but they are the ones who who because they're not conspiratorial, they sort of sort of help to lift the uh, veil to, to sort of keep the, the conspiracy hidden because the conspirators are up above, as it were. So right. here's yeah, you... Madonna, devil, devil's horn sign. You would think these people, when they start, like, you know, getting, they feel them out to see if they're going to get promoted to the next degree, and then they start hearing about what's really going well, on. You'd think that yeah, more of them like, would quit. In the Blue Lodges, they've only got one to three degrees, degrees one, two, and three. And when they get to three, they're the master or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, they don't think in terms of going further. Basically, it's it's a selection-type process, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the conspiratorial Freemasons will have their own lodges that are higher level lodges and they'll be more or less by invitation mm -hmm. invitation only okay well uh uh here's uh, uh yes now according to this altian child by the way you can download his video uh these are masonic symbols um the finger over the mouth is to say do not reveal masonic secrets and covering one eye uh, I can't remember exactly what it means, but uh, it's it's a common Masonic symbol. And so we, we just deluge with these things in, in pop culture, and, and Madonna looks like yeah. a, a key suspect. So here's Madonna wearing the uh, a, a jacket of the Illuminati pyramid and the all-seeing eye. Right. Well, you know, I, I you know, people, conspiracy people play around with these symbols, too. Like I, I put the eye at the top of the Transamerica Pyramid, which was the signature building in San Francisco on, on the cover of my book. But that doesn't mean I'm in the Freemasons. So but in this in this case, though, you have to wonder whether somebody with this kind of money. The, if you look at the uh, Supreme Court of Israel, that's not a joke. You know, right. that Masonic right. Pyramid on that court is not a joke. It's. The, no, the no, they're the conspirators, and we're the conspiracy theorists. But, but both, all of us yeah, use the, the right. symbols. 
Uh, so Lady Gaga is doing this too. Yeah, this is called the triple six sign. Yeah, yeah. So Lady Gaga and Madonna both kind of always struck me as like similar sort of fabricated cultural concoctions, you know, almost like they were created yeah. by the same marketing department. Uh, yeah. How about Tony Fauci? Is he making these signs too? Now, this this is from a video. Deborah Birch comes onto the stage just before him, and he 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 made this sign very slowly, uh, as if to say, "Look, I want." certain people to notice it. We don't know who they are, but he was the highest paid official in the United States at that time earning more money than the president. And this hand sign means something. We don't know what it means. You better it's hurry up and flash a hand sign to Robert Cadillac before Cadillac, uh, you know, gets <laughs> Tony into serious trouble. Uh, so well, here, how about, are now, you, you're not telling one, me that China is run by Freemasons, yeah, are you? This is on video. Uh, and Xi Jinping made this sign quickly. He just put his hand in and pulled it out. Uh, he's not like Fauci, who maybe he just was scratching an itch. No, no, no. This is a Masonic hand sign. I don't know why, whether uh, I mean, most people either ignored it or don't know what it is. But once you start realizing that there are these signal signs around, you start noticing them. And of course, I wasn't going to ignore this when I saw it. Uh, it's on Shinwa video. Hmm. Wow. So which which faction then, is he, is he part of? Along, he's, mm -hmm. It's on video. He's walking along and then he puts his, he slides his hand in and pulls it out. Hmm. It's not scratching himself. It's a sign. It's, it's a signal to someone. We don't know who to. Interesting. So it looks like the Freemasons are even over in China as well. Uh, well, now well, we're, we're going to go down a few yeah. levels of power uh, to yeah. Antifa. Um, yeah, well, uh, uh, there's, this is, there's a video here, and I put a copy of it on my website. Because as you know, anything that's important is live, liable to disappear from the internet. So what you need to do, if you find an important, important photograph, or a video, you save it, and also save the link where you got it from. Uh, you've got to save it to hard drive or to USB or something or other. Now, here's a video where these the Antifa uh, guys wearing masks are, are singing a chant. Soros, Soros, where's our money? Soros, Soros, where's our money? And you might think the sound is dubbed, but two of the protesters are moving their hands in sync with the music. Hmm. Well, they, they could have been just trying to bait us, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I, I get it. It's maybe they're on strike. It's like Soros pay us quickly or, or uh, we're going to spill the beans on you. Uh, maybe I should try that. That might be a way to get some more uh, donations to my fundraiser. Hey, Soros, we're going to really go after you if you don't pay up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so those, this is all uh, discussed in your book, The Cosmopolitan Empire. If you look at the photo on the cover, you can see what it is now. It's the Supreme Court of Israel. Indeed. And it's, prob it's probably the only only book in the world which has got that on it. Well, you know, I, I hope the Illuminist faction of this one world conspiracy, uh, the, the liberal globalists, uh, who are responsible for this part of the Israeli power structure. Apparently, I hope they're right that Netanyahu is basically destroying the Zionist project, flying the Israeli plane into the building. 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they are. They, I mean, they, they certainly are two different factions, and they don't like him at all. Uh, and it's a relief to see that there are different factions, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll they'll tear each other apart and leave the rest of us alone eventually. Well, but anyway, um, yeah, that's probably a I pretty mean, good place to leave it, Peter. Because I think we, we we're, we're yeah, at the end. What are you, what are your final thoughts on why people should read your book? That's right. Yeah. Uh, for the the detail, actually, the details of of all of this are in the book. It's a good read, uh, and I think that you, you know the parts. It's it's worth it, worth the price of admission just for the discussion of H. G. Wells, um, and the fact that that George Orwell and Aldous Huxley were both parodying the future that H. G. Wells seriously wanted to create. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of really uh, important themes that we don't get in most of the establishment uh, discussion that you uh, treat pretty well in, in the Cosmopolitan Empire. So I, I would definitely recommend well, this book. Another, another point to make too, it, this is an, an academic type book because uh, a lot of conspiracy literature says, makes statements and doesn't back them up. I set out to back up all the controversial statements. So I'm using in-text citation, the APA7 reference system, or it's based on that anyway. But even though it's an academic type book, it's 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 if, if it came, it didn't come out of a university, I haven't been at a university. So the thing is, at universities, everything is scripted these days. There's no independent thinking. You know, they clamp down on anything that's out of you know the regular. Now, tell me about it, Peter. I, I ended up getting exiled from the academy for talking out yeah. of school about nine eleven. Yeah, so that's the thing that uh, we, you know, ge genuine independent research is done outside universities now. Okay, well, I appreciate your contributing to the process of, of real research, and I agree. It's well-documented, it's totally sophisticated, uh, and, and every bit as uh, as good as anything you would ever find uh, coming from the you know so-called conspiracy analysis sector, really, it's uh, and I think that you've reframed the issues in a very interesting way as well. So, congratulations, Peter Myers, uh, author of *The Cosmopolitan Empire*. Uh, keep up the great work, and God bless. And look forward to talking with you down the line. Thank you very much, Kevin. Okay, bye bye. Bye.